If you've been listening to the Business of Biotech podcast for a while now, you'll recall that Aaron Harris has joined me to co-host a few episodes. Aaron's my friend, colleague, and chief editor over at sellandgene.com, and she just recently launched a podcast of her own. It's aptly named Sell and Gene, the podcast. And if you're working in the Sell and Gene space, you should give it a listen. It's a collection of interviews with the industry and academic leaders moving the space forward. And you can find it at sellandgene.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sell and Gene, the podcast. Check it out. I haven't run the analytics, but anecdotally, it sure feels like my colleagues in the office and I are receiving a ton of news releases and editorial opportunities about new advanced therapy, manufacturing build-outs, expansions, retrofits every single day. Many, if not most of these are spearheaded by CMOs and CDMOs, new and old. There are billions of dollars being spent on capital and infrastructure to meet the swelling demand for manufacturing capacity. And yet, we talk to cell and gene therapy developers all the time who lament 18-month queues, or even worse, a lack of confidence in CDMO expertise to handle highly complex therapeutic development and manufacturing. I'm Matt Piller, and on today's episode of the Business of Biotech, we're going to have a candid conversation on the capacity crunch from all perspectives. Leading off my guest lineup today is a voice not commonly heard on this podcast. I typically reserve the guest chair here for the leaders of biopharma companies, meaning those companies that are actively developing their own pipelines of biologic therapies. But we can have a fully formed conversation on the CDMO capacity crunch and CDMO dynamics without the CDMO perspective. So to provide that perspective, Audrey Greenberg is joining us. Thank you so much. Hi, Matt. Oh, hi, Audrey. That wasn't your cue yet. So just sit tight. (laughs) (laughs) We've already ascertained that Audrey's had some coffee this morning. Uh, Audrey is co-founder of uh, Discovery Labs and the Center for Breakthrough Medicines, which comprise some 2.4 million square feet of uh, life sciences lab and manufacturing real estate, uh, which sort of underscores my point about the capacity burgeon. Um, Audrey, again, thrilled to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Matt. True to the show's form, I have Sumit Verma on the show today as well. Sumit is Senior Vice President of Commercial Manufacturing at Iovance Biotherapeutics, where he's been helping the company develop systems and strategies for the manufacture of its tumor-infiltrating lymphocyte oncology therapies for going on three years now. He's held operations and manufacturing leadership roles at Curium Pharma, Malincrote, Covidian, and Merck. Sumit, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Finally, a longtime friend and contributor bioprocess online, Anshul Mongol, is here to help frame things up. Anshul is project, uh, excuse me, president of Project Pharma and Precision Advance, which provide a comprehensive suite of services to cell and gene therapy developers. And as such, Anshul uh, sees the capacity and expertise demand uh, from the trenches. He's well-suited to help us frame things up and give us a level set on the topic. Anshul, it's great to see you again. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Cool. So let's start with you, Anshul. For every emerging cell and gene company executive that I talk to who tells me that there's no way that they would outsource their early stage development efforts because it's just, you know, 
It's, it's too precise. It's too complex. It's too this. It's too that. For every one of those, there are two that tell me that there is no way that they could possibly do it themselves. Um, so why are CDMOs in such demand in selling gene therapies? Kind of give us that, uh, like I said, that level set. Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, Matt, the we're undergoing a therapeutic revolution right now. Um, cell and gene therapy um, has been emerging for quite some time now. Um, and it's, well, I think even, even though it's already emerged, I think we're just still at just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, and it's going to continue booming over the next over the course of the next number of years. Just some statistics for you to show you why we're going through a, a therapeutic revolution currently. Um, this a recent report spot, a recent report was published by the Alliance for Regenerative Medicines, and it stated that 20 billion was invested in cell and gene in mm -hmm. 2020. That was up 10 billion from 2019. In 2020, we broke all financing records despite the challenges the industry faced from the COVID-19 pandemic. Contrast that to 2021, in the first half of 2021, 14.1 billion has been raised. 71% of what was raised in 2020, which was the strongest year on record so far, has already been raised. So we're gonna break, we're gonna shatter the numbers that were present in 2020 um, you know, by a wide margin in 2021 in terms of financing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the FDA and the number of approvals in the field. The yeah. FDA approved its first cell and gene therapy in 2017. We've had over about 20 approvals to date in just a short period of time since 2017. And the FDA has stated it, it expects to approve 10 to 20 new therapies a year starting in 2025. Again, those you know, number of approvals and those numbers are shattering. Clinical trials, there's over 1300 clinical trials worldwide. At least half of these trials are in the US. That's the increase of over hundred trials since 2020. Um, there are about, there are over 1200 therapeutic developers worldwide. Again, about half of them are in the US. Again, and that's nearly 200 more than this time last year. Um, the US has roughly about 600 therapeutic developers. The Europe uh, has a little over 200. Uh, and most of these therapeutic developers are in early phase, phase one, phase two. Mm -hmm. So as you, you can see, these numbers and where the um, development is happening right now um, makes CDMOs even more important, right? If a new company is being born that's selling gene therapy, you know, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be very costly, and it's going to take a lot of time for that company to stand up its own internal manufacturing. Yeah. Um, and certainly, CDMOs are going to big, play a big part in helping them um, with their early phase development, um, and until they have internal capacity. Um, and for some uh, therapy developers, it may never make sense to have internal capacity, depending on their pipeline, their epidemiology, right? So. Uh, and let me uh, add some statistics in terms of outsourcing. We're seeing a higher percentage of outsourcing in cell and gene therapy than any other field. Over 80% of viral vectors are being outsourced and over 50% in cell therapy. So, um, you know, we're seeing an enormous capacity crunch based on all of this data. And um, as more and more cell and gene therapies come to market, as more more cell and gene therapy com companies are born, CDMOs are continue to become more and more critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, so I want to, I want to learn a bit about about uh, 
the CDML perspective from Audrey. You, yeah, and I've got, I'm going to have a. I'm, I'm just going to. I'm going to have a, a multi-part question for you. But okay. I, <laughs> I use a lot of words when I ask questions. Before I before I ask you this convoluted question, uh, tell us a bit without being careful not to oversell its services. Cause like I said, you're sort of an anomaly on this show, Audrey, we don't typically have CDMOs on the show. We t- typically reserve the, the show for folks like Sumit. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to kind of avoid, you know, the, the overt sales pitch, but I want to know uh, what the center for breakthrough medicines um, and, and uh, what, what you do, what, what uh, the role that CDMOs like CBM can play for therapy developers and a little bit of back backstory on this, sort of the evolution of discovery labs because from what i understand you you know you guys started out as more of a sort of a incubatory space if you will and have sort of grown or developed into a, a cdmo I'll, I'll let like i said i use too many words i'll let you do the talk and tell us about yeah CDM. thanks for the question so just a little background on uh the center for breakthrough medicine we're really an innovative CDMO and in that we have a full comprehensive suite of services and a technology offering to go with it. We're located at the Discovery Labs, which as you said, is a 2.4 million square foot life science real estate portfolio, one of the largest privately owned life science hubs in the world, uh, located in King of Prussia, just outside of Philadelphia, which as you know, many of us know is quickly becoming known as Silicon Valley due to the talent that's here, the universities are here, the research institutions and the amazing offerings in our region. Uh, What makes us different at the Center for Breakthrough Medicines is that we really are bringing online one of the largest single site cell and gene therapy CDMOs that exists. Uh, We have a full depth and breadth of offering everything from GMP plasmid production to viral vector production to cell therapy suites and a full suite of testing and analytics as well as the support support space all in one location. And because we're located at Discovery Labs, these developers, which Anshul mentioned 80% of viral vector and over 50% of cell therapy manufacturers outsource. And most of that is, or about 50% actually of those outsourcers use a hybrid strategy. So being located at the Discovery Labs, they're able to co-locate with their CDMO, the Center for Breakthrough Medicines, which as you know, the tech transfer process and the research and development process is um quite cumbersome. So be able to co-locate has many, many advantages uh, to help streamline that path to commercialization. And with cell and gene therapy, it's all about speed to market and capturing the patient as these are curative therapies. Uh, it's very important to move in an expeditious manner down the FDA approval path. And you're able to do that at a site that eliminates a lot of the speed bumps that would take place along the way in other CDMOs or doing it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What about that, uh, that, that complexity argument? I'm wondering how, you know, what, what it's been like, I mean, it's sort of, sort of, uh, looking for anecdotes or some personal observations in your leadership yeah. there. Um, cause you've been there from, from the beginning. How, how's it been trying to adapt to, you know, the, just the complex nature of the demand, right? Like being able to say, you know what, you're right. This is a very complex, uh, approach. It's a very, very complex therapeutic approach. And here's what we need to do to accommodate, uh, your concerns about our ability to handle that complexity. Yeah, it's a great question. And I know you asked earlier about our story and how this all started. Uh, We've had relationships with uh, Deerfield Management and others in the space for some time and quickly came to the realization through this 
capacity that we own, the incredible demand that you're talking about, Matt, uh, and that Anshul talked about at the top of the call, and being able to accommodate not only Philadelphia with advanced therapy manufacturing, which is incredibly short supply. And it's not just the capacity that's in short supply, it's the talent, it's the bioreactors, it's the consumables, it's the materials, it's the analytical methods, unbelievably, if they could be in short supply. But um, a lot of people are chasing space and services and we're able to accommodate that with ready to go space. And then in terms of attacking the complexity and how we appeal to our client base, um, we have a team of people from around the world that we, like a heat-seeking missile, sort of attract and onboarded, including Jörg Algram, who came from Lanza, our president, um, and our head of viral vector manufacturing, Emily Moran. Um, and we have a team, Dana Cipriano, who led testing and analytics at Wuxi. Uh, we have a team of amazing professionals, Mike McCormick and quality and regulatory. All of these folks have 20 plus year track records in the industry. They're an all-star team. We're coming together and executing on these client programs uh, with this incredible talent, this amazing site, which has this ability to outsource insource via this hybrid strategy. Um, and and really with this proprietary technology that we're developing and creating in-house. So those things all come together to meet the client demand that's out there. We're seeing companies that range in size from startup to large pharma that are in viral vector and cell therapy, mRNA. It's really across the board. There's incredible demand, like Anshul mentioned, out there. Uh, and the ability to execute uh, on these programs is, is incredibly important. So having a trusted partner that can execute and have the capabilities that you need in the timeline that makes sense is really what's about most importance. Yeah, cool. So we're we're going to get back to you, Audrey, to discuss. Uh, you know what that I'm really intrigued by the the hybrid model and what that partnership looks like from the CDMO's perspective. Uh, but first, I want to get to Sumit. Uh, so you know, from the outset, I mentioned, and this is this is anecdotal. I haven't done again thorough analysis on it, but I, I think it's pretty fair to say what I said earlier about you know for every one exec that I talked to from a advanced therapy manufacturing company, a cell and gene company, um, you know, who says there's no way that we could outsource. There are two that says there's, let's say that there, there's no way that they, they, they couldn't. Uh, what was your uh, approach to that at, at IO Vance? What led to your decision to outsource? And uh, was there ever the consideration that perhaps it wasn't on the table? Yeah, no, thank you for the question, Matt. Certainly, iEvents has been uh, partnering with uh, various CDMOs over the past couple of years uh, to support their clinical programs and product supply chain network. Uh, certainly, we have a diverse group and talented group of uh, partners that are both in the US and Europe. And this network has definitely helped us to make ground in advancing our company's growth and trajectory today. Uh, for me, some of the key factors that our leadership team concluded in its initial journey in engaging with CDMO partners was around the access to and experience in the technology and science needed for tilt therapy. Uh, certainly, while we had brilliant individuals in our Tampa facility performing benchtop and uh, lab work uh, associated with our proprietary tilt, we weren't sure that we could do this on our own. And at the very beginning, we recognized that with the appetite of growth that we had and keeping in mind that we needed the need to diversify 
our experiences with individuals and teams that had advanced cell and gene therapy manufacturing process, we underwent a thought process of call it uh, make versus buy analysis to determine what's the best approach. And experience in this field, as Audrey mentioned, you know, was very key to our overall supply chain. And Philadelphia being the birthplace of cell and gene therapy, you know, referred to as Silicon Valley, had enabled many local institutions to foster that kind of talent and experience in uh, manufacturing and uh, development of uh, cell and gene therapy products. Uh, one thing, Matt, that's interesting about our journey is that uh, it placed a major factor in selecting Philadelphia as uh, the site of choice for our own manufacturing. So we could better oversee our ongoing CDMO activities. And at the same time, when we thought about tech transfer from the CDMO to our internal manufacturing cap capabilities, it would make sense for us to utilize that talent from the CDMOs as well. So, you know, big picture, uh, and I know Anshul has touched on this point, but I think it's very important to reiterate it, is that we felt that we need to have the right-sized and properly equipped facilities in our journey. Uh, the leadership team at the very beginning had recognized that, you know, we didn't need a large facility initially, and most of the early stage development work could be done in, call it a one or two clean room space with all the infrastructure in place that uh, appropriate CDMO partners uh, could help us advance that clinical pipeline to a certain level. And uh, one final factor that I think is worth sharing, and it's been highlighted by both Audrey and Anshul, is that uh, we, we need as a key business and element of value for our shareholders, we have to constantly keep that ability of cost and timelines in check in this area. And that CDMO partnership makes the most sense at that time. You know, as I thought about Anshul's answer, the 12 to 18 months, you know, to give some level of flavor, having gone through this journey, when you think about a greenfield facility from the time you go from groundbreaking to call it commissioning and validation, it's a 12 to 18 month journey, so to speak. And that time could be extremely valuable for a cell and gene therapy company to advance their efforts, utilizing a strategic uh, CDMO partner. And I think that plays a key role in those decision levels as well. Yeah. So when it comes to the, you know, the ability to keep costs and timelines in check, there's a, an obvious, very stark contrast when you go to the board, you know, your stakeholders and you say, oh, here, here's an option, greenfield opportunity, right? 18 months, millions and millions of dollars. And there's a stark, or we lease out some space or pay, pay some rent, however that business arrangement might look. There comes a point where as CDMOs become, you know, more the status quo, not, not status quo in a, you know, status quo kind of way, but more the, you know, the, the routine approach, right? The, the more accepted approach where uh, perhaps um, there's a, a more uh, fi finite or a more scrupulous or there, there's more scrutiny, I think, I think I should say, scrutiny around who you choose, why you choose, what the return on the investment might look like. So, so what does that look like, Sumi? Like, when when you go to the board, are there specific uh, points of, of 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 you know cost control that the board's looking for as it relates to your decision to outsource with X, Y, or Z CDMO? Yeah, fortunately, Matt, I've gone through that journey myself with the board itself. So you know, at a very high level, um, I, you know, most people use the term make versus buy. I, I love to use the term 
mate versus partner, where you have to go through this whole analysis uh, from a very strategic point of view on what is the benefit here. You know, certainly there's no doubt there's a time and a place for internal manufacturing. Uh, literally most uh, approved products in cell and gene therapy have gone to that transitionary phase where when you're talking about high level capacity needs, uh, you need to go through that. But if you spend time initially from a planning perspective to determine what's best for the business, uh, key factors come out from a strategy perspective. Everything from talent, you know, what Audrey mentioned at the very beginning, you know, just assembling this kind of talent is not something you can do in a month or two. You know, it, it's, it's, it can be a key factor towards the development of the work. In, in the case of CDMOs, they generally have all this expertise in-house. They understand the technology, they've done it before, they've partnered up with other players so that learning elements becomes much, much quicker uh, for them versus us in implementing something of that sort. I think location plays a big role. You know, we, we've talked about Silicon Valley in, in, in quite detail here, but there's a reason why this becomes such a breeding ground from a make versus partner element, because if you had to just begin this, you know, in a random place where you're located, so to speak, you may not be able to thrive through that industry experience, you know, learning what the latest technologies are and advancing your programs. Because again, the entire cell and gene therapy, I would say, is still at its infancy level. There's not one place you can go call a 1-800 number and figure this all out. You, you literally have to be part of that journey with all the players. The whole industry is part of it. And that's, to me, the big advantage when you put a plan together, share with the board on the most economical sense of saying, even though it's, you know, most people will look at it and say, hey, there's a higher cost of goods associated with performing these programs. But but over time, when you add all these inefficiencies and risk, then it becomes a very different equation uh, for the board itself and for the companies at large to execute their plans and bring these early stage development products to commercialization. Yeah. Okay. I think one thing I would add, Matt, um, to your question, and I think Audrey alluded to this earlier, I, I, I don't think the cost really becomes the issue for a lot of early phase cell and gene therapy companies. It's speed to market. Right. They don't really have other options right now. Right. They don't have they, they don't have the capacity. Uh, they don't have the talent. They don't have the technology. They don't have the infrastructure or equipment uh, to do early phase development. You know, they're they're essentially a startup company. Right. So they have to find the right partner uh, for that early phase work. Uh, and, and it becomes very critical. And they have to find that uh, that partner fast. I mean, you think, I mean, every sing, every second they wait is another second that patient doesn't get that, you know, potential life's changing curative medicine. Uh, every second they wait, they're potentially not to market first with that cure. So I think speed is probably um, the more critical decision than cost for a board um, when looking uh, to make decisions on internal versus external. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. 
That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to tell that to the more conservative board members that I know on. <laughs> That's a good point, though, and it's a it's, it's a good segue, Anshul, because I wanted to come back to you and talk a little bit about, um, you know, your experience with some of the services that you guys offer. Which, you know, I mean, you you guys offer a, a soup to nuts kind of breadth and depth of of, of services, but among them uh, are, uh, you know. Uh, uh, support in the in-source versus outsource decision, and then CDMO selection uh, decision-making support. Um, so, so tell us about that. When you're when you're working, I, I, I I'd kind of pose it from two different perspectives. When you're working with clients on CDMO selection, what are their concerns, and what's your advice to them around what their concerns should be? What considerations are are key or most important? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> um, you know, usually we're um, acting as if we're the owner's rep for the client or we're outsourcing for the right CDMO. And usually what we do is we kind of create a, uh, a requirement specification um, to look for a CDMO. And there's a lot of different variables that are going to go into that. Um, obviously, CDMOs that have the right technology, you know, whether they can support a gene therapy or cell therapy or, or various technologies, that's one consideration. Uh, what uh, geographic location are they in? Are they in U.S.? Are they in Europe or even in within U.S., what geographic location there, there may be in? Some therapeutic developers may have a preference as to geographic location. Um, and really, right now, with the capacity crunch that we're facing, it's really time is kind of the biggest thing that comes into play is what type of what when is that when can we get in? When when is our when is when when is there an open slot for us to do our development there? Right. Um and then, and then after the kind of the initial specification phase goes through, then and you're you've narrowed it down to a few partners, then you're going to be kind of really looking at those CDMOs and asking them key key questions and looking for some of the key considerations to to know whether they're not whether or not they're prepared for your project, right? What quality systems does the CDMO have in place? Uh, a CDMO should have a quality manual that outlines a quality st- strategy to be able to handle any investigations or deviations. Um, how is troubleshooting handled? Um, can analytical testing be done on site? CDMOs may outsource some of or all of the analytical testing, so it's important to understand what's in-house, what's not. Audrey, it- let me interrupt you real quick. I'm, I'm watching Audrey as you're asking these questions, and she's like, she's like chomping at the bit right now to answer them. <laughs> we're not, we're, we're not going to let her do that. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, just had to throw it. We're not going to let her do that just yet. I will stay on mute. <laughs> um, other questions are, does CDMO allow a person in plant? Person in plant is basically uh, the ability to monitor a process while in production. And that varies from a CDMO to CDMO. So that's something that you should definitely ask for uh, if, is whether or not the, you know, the therapy developer can have a representative on site. Uh, what's the CDMO's project management communication style? Even if the CDMO checks all the other boxes, if we can't get along with the CDMO and they have a very different project management communication style than we do, you know, that's going to be a big hurdle in the, in, in the future. Um, right now, during the COVID, um, during COVID, remote monitoring capabilities. What if any remote monitoring capabilities does CDMO have? And then I would say the, you know, the biggest question of all for, for, for me and for therapeutic developers are, are they aligned with our patient-focused mission, right? Are they doing this for the right reasons? Are they, the, is the team that they've allocated for this venture, are they, you know, all in it for the patient? Because as long as 
in the end, if we're all aligned for that patient-focused mission-driven, and we're all aligned that we need to get this patient to the drug the fastest, the most safest way possible, then I really think that we can that we can come to agreement in terms of all of the other things. Mm-hmm. So I know Audrey's been chomping at the bit, so I'll I'll let her. Well, I'm, 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 no, I'm I'm moderating this. <laughs> oh, you're moderating. Okay, okay. No, you don't call those shots. That's okay. my job. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, and Audrey. You just need to sit tight for one one more minute because I want to. I've got a question for. <laughs> Sumit. Uh, so what what uh, what Anshul's describing, Sumit? He, you know, he's he's talking about um, the, these these selection criteria. These, you know, I, I should say a, a big part of what he's getting to uh, from the board's perspective is related to to risk. And while while the space is maturing to the to the point where you know we can. You know, we can look at CDMO winners. We've maybe seen some shake out. Uh, there's there's maturation in the services offered, the technology, the expertise. There's still inherent risk anytime you outsource anything, right? I mean, if you hire someone to paint your house, there's a risk. If you hire someone to develop your drug, there's a risk. What are some of the risks uh, that that Iovance has has faced, uh, acknowledged, and and how have you um, gone about rationalizing taking that risk? Uh, sure, Matt. Uh, I mean, you, you made the point, and it's very valid. You know, as uh, as you stated, there's always going to be inherent risks associated with choosing a CDMO partner to uh, complete any work. It's no different uh, using your analogy for choosing any type of contract uh, work associated, whether it's in at home or in the business side of things. Um, one area that uh, we touched on earlier was the recommendation. Uh, for, for, for the teams through this journey to utilize a traditional make versus buy or partner analysis and develop some type of risk register for this effort. So at least for the known unknowns, uh, you, you have taught or developed appropriate risk mitigation activities. Uh, this I think can take uh, a lot of the pressure at the very beginning, at least from a planning perspective, uh, to be ahead of the curve, so to speak. Um, with respect to your question, though, you know, what are the risks that Ivans and other players have with CDMOs? I would say the biggest risk always is going to be partnering with the wrong strategic CDMO player for your overall efforts, right? You know, Anshul uh, touched on even the intrinsic values of uh, patient care. You know, do they share the same passion and energy around uh, uh, curative medicine? You know, that plays a big role. Um, Selecting that right partner to me is going to be super crucial to staying on track with your timelines, uh, cost, and overall successes of the program. Uh, Choosing the wrong CEMO can have truly detrimental effects in all these areas, especially when when you think about the small biotech and uh, cell and gene therapy companies that already come in with limited time limited resources, especially, and budgets. Um, and we've somewhat seen that in our industry, that uh, if you uh, uh, if you choose the wrong people, uh, you're, you're gonna run into some sort of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for us, uh, we have a very active, uh, both internal and external uh, teams uh, from MSAT to quality that have talked earlier on 
from an execution perspective, what needs to be done. Uh, all the factors that uh, Anshul brought are really success factors that people should consider. Person in plant, you know, is is a valuable partnership, and they have the same eyes and uh, watching your process as uh, the CDMO play a big role. So I think those uh, risk mitigation activities also exist. It's it's not just uh, an element of pointing fingers at at the CDMO at that point. Um, you, you're bound to run into issues, but developing that strategic partnership where you're working with them to solve these issues is a big part of risk mitigation as well. Great. Okay. Audrey, I'm sorry. We, I, I've, I'm sorry I've been neglecting you. You've been wanting to respond to some of these comments. Uh, do you want me to ask you a question or do you want to take a minute to respond to some of the things that Anshul and, and Sumit have, have touched on? Well, I, I look, I completely am aligned with the mission-driven aspect of our business. The reason that I went into this industry after having spent several years on Wall Street uh, was to have a greater purpose, right? And, and it's all about the patient. Every single person we hire, we make sure that they're part of the culture of patient centricity and candidly client centricity. And the partner implant model, the person implant model, we welcome our customers and our clients with open arms. Um, and for that matter, the patient. We all have family members and friends that have been touched by cancer and genetic disease. And to remember the patient at the forefront of our mind when we're working on not just designing our facility, but executing on the program, everything along the way. So I just want to start out by emphasizing that and how important it is. And, and I'm completely aligned with Anshul and Sumit on that. Um, but I also want to say that CDMO selection is the most critical, <laughs> crucial decision that companies are making right now. Those that have limited resources, you know, Matt, you mentioned the timeline that it takes to, to find a, a site, to get it zoned, to get it built, to get the validation done. It's also the cost. Some of these companies, yeah, fundraising, you know, Anshul mentioned how much fundraising is taking place, but that capital is not cheap. And so being able to efficiently deploy capital via an outsourcing model where you have less CapEx up front and these young companies that maybe don't have the expertise inside while they're growing as a company can outsource and, and also learn from their CDMO. So if you have an open, transparent, trusted partnership that's aligned with your organization's goals and objectives, it's really uh, the perfect solution. And that needs to be coupled, like I said earlier, with the capabilities that the CDMO has, the scale that they have to offer, the expertise. Timing is the most important, as we talked about. And then technology. Some of these um, identified programs that were worked on in academic labs, yes, they've established a way to cure these these treatment and these cure these problems. But the issue is they do not know how to create scalable, repeatable, repeatable, industrialized manufacturing processes. And so that expertise really lies within CDMOs who do this time and time again. Mm -hmm. So to fit the schedules, to be able to do scale up GMP grade manufacturing with GMP, not only the manufacturing process, but the materials uh, and the analytical methods. We talked about this a little bit, you know, potency assay, pu pu pr proving purity, uh, proving effectiveness of these therapies. And the FDA is changing in this regard as to what's acceptable. So staying in front of that, understanding the regulatory hurdles, having analytical methods that can prove that your product's pure and effective is going to be crucial. 
Um, and then not only aligning on the mission, but aligning on the desired outcomes at each stage and the milestones that you need to achieve those goals, um, not only uh, in GMP manufacturing, but also some of these companies in process development. So uh, starting early, having a reliable process, having safety, and a robust GMP manufacturing environment is all what needs to be taken into consideration. Uh, and then just close out this thought and I'm open to any questions you have is really the ability to reduce these upfront capital expenses to efficiently deploy resources at these resource constrained companies that are going through very high growth is going to be key in making sure that they have successful outcomes. Awesome. Uh, and, and yeah, you're open to questions I have. You're on my podcast. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> so my question is this. My question is this. Uh, so you just outlined a, a whole bunch of functional expert, you know, super important functional technical expertise sort of uh, credentials, right? That, that you should that, that, that you should look for. And let's say, you know, perhaps that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to outsource with a CDMO and you're the only CDMO that has that function functionality that I that I need that I'm looking for yeah um, then then maybe it's a no-brainer maybe you're one of a, a handful um so I've, I've got it narrowed down uh but but maybe you're one of a whole bunch right like maybe you're one of the, the process that I'm looking to outsource uh I, I can kind of get it anywhere um and and maybe even at a you know at, at a very palatable rate uh to my board what are some of the, and this is a tricky question for me to ask because it gives you an opportunity to use a whole bunch of fluffy words and I don't want you to do that, but what are some of the partnership aspects that I should be looking for? Some of the softer sort of, you know, cultural aspects that I should be looking for in my decision to choose, you know, one, one CDMO or another. Cause I imagine some of that, you know, some of that nuance, some of that, uh, you know, that, that, the, the, those kind of softer considerations, play a role in whether we're going to work together well or not. Yeah. And we did talk about this a little bit. It is having that mission-driven culture, being very open to partnership, inviting the client and the customer into the plant whenever they wish, having the ability to monitor remotely, Agile mentioned earlier, in the case of uh, times when maybe can't travel as much or just for ease of use. Uh, and so I think all of that is on the soft side, but we cannot under, under talk about sort of the hard skills, right? And so having that extensive GMP space and capabilities, the ceiling height to accommodate 2000 liter to the extent that we're able to successfully have scale up manufacturing, um, having the full suite of testing and analytics for cell therapies, and it's true for viral vector too, but for cell therapies in particular, the supply chain is so complex, not just because you have incoming patient sample, but also because you're talking to 30 to 50 different suppliers just in the manufacturing process to the extent that you can create a one-stop shop where you're getting your plasmid, your viral vector, your cell therapy suite, your full testing and analytics, and all the support space in one place with one provider cannot be undersold. It's just so important. And it really reduces risk because if you think about the sample moving to all these different places to get tested and then it's nice to have everything all in one space. And I think that's what great, what's great about the Center for Breakthrough Medicines um, and really bringing to bear not just the capability of the space, but the full suite of services and having the culture and the mindset 
to welcome that patient and welcome that customer with open arms is really what is uh, the perfect combination that is sets us apart at the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. Awesome. Uh, Sumit, I want to, I want to throw that uh, sort of a different form of that question over, over to you from your perspective, what does uh, the, the partner, the ideal partnership look like? What are the elements of a good, you know, solid foundation, solid foundation of, of, of that partnership with your CDMOs? Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, certainly from uh, optimum outcome, I think both teams must understand this is a partnership and and not a delivery service, right? I mean, that that's a key differentiator here. Your, your organization will certainly be required to provide continuous ongoing support through the entire life cycle. And hence, uh, we, we do need to plan for it. Uh, you know, maybe in the tactical side of things, a team member should be making weekly or monthly visits to their site to ensure, you know, there's elements of adherence to programs, to policies, to procedures, and to active, actively monitor the scope, the budget, uh, the schedules of all the uh, commitments that have been made. You know, the recommendation that we've talked about earlier is uh, making sure that the person in plant is deeply integrated, especially during key manufacturing steps. So if there are elements of deviation or concerns, um, they, they have the same level of knowledge uh, of what's taken place over there. Uh, the, the other area, Matt, that I think it's important is also once you get to the 10,000 foot level is uh, you have to be as willing to receive criticism and feedback as much as giving it. You know, that, that's something not all players fully understand. Uh, you know, there's always elements of challenges that you've got to work through. And if you create that feedback loop and make sure it's part of uh, a continuous improvement program and improve efficiencies, then it's much easier to recognize that even better if analysis and um, uh, after action reviews is very uh, important. Uh, one thing which is challenging for the smaller cell and gene therapy players is the element of accountability. You know, in my opinion, uh, we should always be pushing that accountability and decision-making uh, as far down in the organizations as you feel comfortable. Um, and and uh, ultimately, not every decision has to be escalated to the CEO or must come from uh, the leadership team. You know, it can be made at, at the ground level, so to speak, especially because they are very familiar with what's taking place in the manufacturing or quality control group. So I, I think that's uh, important to, you know, get the heavy lifting done in, in upfront will uh, pay it off. And, you know, as the saying goes, uh, make sure you're planning the work and then you work the plan. I, I think that's a key piece. Uh, one final comment on my side, Matt, is, uh, you know, it can be a very daunting task to place your product, you know, call it your baby into another organization for success. But uh, implementing these strategies and processes do save the organization valuable time and resources. Uh, we've certainly seen it on our end. Um, we've been able to work successfully partnering with various CDMOs uh, on the upfront side from a planning element 
from ensuring that uh, we have a flawless execution mindset and uh, the themes that, that both Anshul and Audrey have touched on uh, patient centricity. And for me, it's first time right. Uh, that, that's a key element, especially in autologous cell therapy that we should always keep in mind. And uh, utilizing uh, this uh, elements can help streamline the process and bring our innovations to the patients much quicker if that uh, strategic partnership with CDMOs is well executed from from uh, from a partnership perspective. Excellent. So um, we're we're running a bit short on time, but I want to I want to touch on one more uh, topic, uh, and albeit briefly, because I think we could do a, a completely uh, separate podcast episode on this topic. But I want to I want to stick with you, Sumit, while while we're while we have you. Uh, one one of the risks that you embrace when you sort of hand off that baby for, for the um, note note you just made is around regulatory. Uh, so the FDA, you know, you answer the FDA, so does your CDMO partner. Um, so again, I know we could, we could go really deep on, on regulatory, uh, but if you could just offer up some advice to other uh, biotherapeutic developers around, you know, um, releasing some degree of regulatory control and having some degree of regulatory expectation from your CDMO, what would that be? Uh, sure, Matt. Uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, you know, to me, I think it's very important uh, to partner with the regulatory bodies up front. You know, in the early process, and uh, I think it's uh, important to also explore the. Uh, potential designations like ARMAT, uh, orphan drug, or breakthrough designation to to start help facilitating access and discussions with regulatory bodies. Um, that opens up the door to partner up with CDMOs only in the phase in order to understand what's the overall strategy, utilize some of their talent to make sure elements of compliance and regulatory have been thought through. And that element of uh, transparency, especially with the agencies, is achieved from day one. So to me, if uh, we find a nice way to have those upfront conversations with, uh, with, with, with the regulatory body first, and then have that same seamless uh, communication and transparency with the CDMOs and working collaboratively to make sure we achieve those goals, I, I think it's going to be key to our success here. Anshul, do you do you uh, sticking with the regulatory topic when you're consulting with uh, with with your clients and you're talking about CDMO selection and you're hearing their concerns around around choosing a CDMO or going with the CDMO is regulatory uh, often on that list of concerns? Do you hear concerns around like, hey, who's going to be responsible for this and and can they handle it? Yeah, I mean that's certainly the we want the CDMO to be knowledgeable about the regulatory landscape, right? We want them to be aware of all of uh, the key new regulations. I mean, cell and gene therapy uh, is no longer a wild, wild west on the regulatory land front, right? Uh, the regulatory bodies are becoming more and more stringent. Um, and um, we've seen that in a number of cases this year. Um, so it's going to be important when you're selecting that CDMO to to ask them questions about, you know, what is your regulatory experience? Um, who's your regulatory expert here? Um, and asking those tough questions and make sure that they're educated and aligned with your regulatory strategy. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Audrey, I'll give you the last word on the topic. Yeah, you have to balance speed with quality. That's for certain. As we said earlier, these are curative treatments and everyone's chasing the patient, but you cannot sacrifice quality. 
Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we all have to be focused on the patient and uh, balance that with the FDA along with our capital requirements. It's an exciting time for cell and gene therapy. I think we're just at the beginning. I'm excited to see what the future holds and we'll all be part of that story. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you all for uh, joining me. This is it, one, it's my honor. You guys are all rock stars and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. So I'm very, very honored to have you and very thankful that you made the time for us. Thanks. Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. So that's Audrey Greenberg, Sumit Verma and Anshul Mangal. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the business of biotech. We're produced by bioprocess online in partnership with Cytiva please visit scitivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech to explore a trove of custom curated content designed to help guide the emerging biopharma's journey. Then go sign up for my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. And if you like what you heard today, hit that subscribe button, give us five stars. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.